Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro. I'm an editor with Light Reading, and I am here with... I'm Paul Gasky. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at EchoStar. Awesome. Well, welcome, Paul. Thank you for joining me here. We are in uh, sunny, windy Washington, D.C. We're here at Satellite 2023. Pretty exciting. Um, before we dive into some stuff going on with EchoStar and Hughes, tell me a bit about why you guys are here at this conference and what you're hoping to get out of it. Okay, great. Yeah, this is our annual satellite show. Uh, the whole industry gathers here, so it becomes a great opportunity for us to meet with our business partners, our customers, and even and to some extent our employees that come from out of town to meet with customers. So we can do all of that in one place. Mm -hmm. In addition, we can exhibit all of our products uh, down on the show floor. Very cool. Um, so last time you and I spoke, I actually had the pleasure of speaking with you for our podcast, The Divide, which is about the digital divide. Uh, we talked about a lot of things. We'll talk about more today, but one thing you had mentioned back then, which I think was like 2021 at this point, was that uh, Hughes was working on a massive new satellite, which I believe is Jupiter-3. So can you tell me about what's happened since 2021 when we last talked about Jupiter-3? Uh, what's the progress and, and what's the latest? Sure. Uh, well, luckily, uh, we're almost ready to launch it. Uh, it's just completing its last steps in the factory. Okay. Uh, there's been a long uh, road in between uh, a lot of technology to overcome. Uh, as well as COVID in the factories. Yeah. Uh, all of that kind of delayed us, but we, now we're finally there. And so uh, we're doing the last uh, steps of testing and then it'll ship off to the launch pad here for the summer launch. Okay, awesome. And for anyone who maybe missed this one episode of The Divide in 2021 and hasn't been keeping up with you guys, can you um, offer a little more context on why Jupiter 3 matters? Uh, what's, what's it gonna offer for you guys to be able to do differently? Sure. Well. Um, if you look at the capacity we have for our customers today, and that's uh, what they consume when they watch video or yeah. go on the internet, that capacity will more than double with the uh, new satellite. Okay. And so what that means is our customers will be able to watch more streaming, uh, do more uh, video of other types, downloads, things like that, in addition to their normal internet services and email and uh, social media and things that they do. So you know, we had a massive uh, change in how people use systems during COVID and everybody became streamer. Yeah. And so this is our ability now to catch up to the streaming world for, okay. for our customers. Very exciting. And is this gonna be for customers in the US, global, like, for everybody? Well, yes, this, is, uh, this satellite covers North and South America. Okay. So it'll uh, change services in South America as well. Great. Okay, so it affects everybody. Excellent, yeah. okay, really exciting. So low earth orbit satellite is, uh, you know, the big topic, um, both for residential broadband, powering devices, D to D. Um, I know that's sort of been an emerging thing over the last, what, couple of years or so, yes. um, but it's sort of got this flush of excitement in the last few weeks, maybe recent months. Um, tell me about your perspective on this industry, this part, uh, what it could do for your business and for connectivity overall. Well, sure. Well, D to D is direct to device. So yeah. if you imagine, um, one of the things that we face today in our world is we make special terminals for our customers. We plant them in their yards, we put big antennas on them. Well, this industry, the D2D industry, the customers already bought the device. They mm -hmm. have a telephone, they have some device, and uh, the new D2D systems will talk to that device. So, okay. so it allows for mass adoption. Uh, it's primarily going to be initially uh, lower speeds for texting and messaging, but as, as the systems evolve, we would expect that uh, you could eventually see you know, data and, and video services going through them. Uh, and, and, but the focus would be, of course, 
not to do that in the cities per se. It's more in the disconnected places, rural places, and and sort of uh, across the planet. Okay. Right. So it's a broader service. Everybody stays connected no matter where they are. So where are we in this cycle? Because it almost sounds like you know being at the beginning of a hype cycle, sort of like the early stages of five G oh, yes. or six G. Yeah. Um, so you're saying right now we could maybe get to some basic messaging, but so. Where, how far are we off from this future where you're envisioning more data services and what needs to happen to enable that? Well, I think the, uh, the initial messaging services, that's going to be what we'll call in the generation two, which okay. is just coming up, right? And then if you look down the road as people create the next round of satellites and the capabilities, you know, you imagine a Gen 3, so that's later in the decade. All right, so coming back to uh, residential broadband, then you all have HughesNet. Um, uh, can you tell, tell us a bit about where you're delivering broadband service to hard to reach communities? Sure, uh, well, our focus has always been the underserved yeah. communities. So if you look at the United States, there's still probably 15 to 17 million people, uh, despite all of the discussions about build outs of, you know, and subsidies for broadband yes. that are not going to get service. And, and that's where we focus. Okay. And so uh, we see that market uh, continuing, uh, especially as we improve our technology, there's more and more places that don't have as good a technology. Uh, so for instance, we just recently launched a, a service called Fusion mm -hmm. that attaches with our uh, HughesNet service. And so what we do there is we actually use the terrestrial uh, cellular systems combined with our satellite system. Okay. And so what that does is it gives us a very low latency uh, for people where they're trying to do uh, very, you know, say video games, things like that, or they're trying to get into their bank account and they want a real quick access. Uh, so it helps us speed up our system. And at the same time, our Jupiter satellites then provide the video and all the heavy you know, data services. So you mentioned the subsidies, so I have to go in on that a sure. little bit. For a long time, you guys, the satellite providers like you guys, have been the ones who are going to these communities, but now we are going to see them federally funded to build out fiber. Does that change how you're thinking about yourselves as a broadband provider, residentially speaking? Does it think, change how you're thinking about your business? Um, and anything you want to say about uh, how uh, those regulations were settled here in the U.S. in terms of what we're funding broadband-wise? Sure. Well, I think, uh, first off, if, you, if, you are, if your objective is to get everybody connected to broadband, uh, the most efficient and cost-effective way is going to be satellite because you only pay for the actual locations you're connecting. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you go to a, uh, a technology like fiber, or even wireless, you're paying for a lot of different uh, people to possibly be connected, but not all of them will subscribe to it. And so it's a less efficient way to roll out. Plus, as you get to the densities of the households that we're talking about, where you might have one house per square mile, you've got to go a mile to get a piece of fiber to a single house. Yeah. That's a pretty expensive proposition. So so it's a, it's a noble cause, I think. I don't, I don't want to you know, knock that, but at the same time, I think that we'll be able to serve a lot more communities more quickly with the satellite service. Sticking with regulatory stuff for a second, there's things going on directly in the satellite space. Uh, you know, there's uh, orbital debris mm -hmm. things, uh, discussions happening at the FCC. Tell me about some of the policy areas that you're focused on as a satellite provider. Well, our, uh, our policy people certainly are looking at that. That's one aspect of it. I think what's happening now is you're building this whole new uh, structure of regulatory uh, uh, work related around space, yeah. where it's not, you know, when we had just some geostationary satellites that go up in certain specific spots, you know, it was a relatively straightforward proposition how you would regulate that. Now you have all of these uh, constellations with thousands and thousands of objects flying around at very high speeds. Yeah. 
And so you, now you're getting all kinds of additional issues with the traffic that they represent, and then how do they decay over time? How do they, if they fail, how do you get them out of orbit? Uh, how do you keep the space from becoming just a big garbage can? Right. And so that's the focus of a lot of the regulatory effort now. And it's, it's going to be very exciting because you're also seeing people stretched all the way to the moon now. Right. They're trying to figure out how to put the regulation about where the satellites for the moon will be. And yes. So it's a quite a uh, far-reaching uh, uh, idea that's you know, trying to be uh, resolved. Yeah, I think that's a good place to end it because that's a fascinating topic and it's one that scares me, so I need to go shiver in the corner for a little while. But <laughs> thank you very much, Paul. Okay. Great to well, see you. Well, thank you. And, thank you. Uh, enjoy, enjoy the show. Thank you. You too. Great.